You are listening to the sermon podcast from Bethel Covenant. We're an evangelical covenant church located outside of Ellsworth in western Wisconsin. I'm Todd Speaker, the pastor here, and you can learn more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, so today uh, we're going to be in Ephesians uh, chapter 6. And so if you have your Bible with you, we turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking towards the end of that chapter. And we're going to look at the same passage of Scripture uh, the next two weeks in a row. Um, so, so you'll get used to hearing it. And if you look at the Where's the Beef, you'll notice the next two weeks we'll read the same chapter. Uh, uh, so don't say, oh, pastor, you messed up. You, I do mess up on the beef sometimes. But this time it'll be for real, not a mess up. So Ephesians 6. And uh, another great way, if you don't have a physical Bible with you, the YouVersion Bible app is just an awesome, it's an awesome Bible app. It's got, uh, you know, like audio Bibles you can listen to. It has plans. It does all kinds of things. And, you know, it's searchable and you can highlight. And it has like a million different translations. Highly, highly recommend the YouVersion Bible app. Believe it or not, this is our one claim to fame as the Evangelical Covenant Church. It's an Evangelical Covenant Church that designed and developed the YouVersion Bible app. That's right. I know. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So yeah, Ephesians, Ephesians 6. Um, And so um, the, the, the topic, the, that chapter of the Bible is about um, um, how hard things are sometimes. And I was thinking about this this morning, as we've been doing outside worship and online worship and, and all these different things. um, I was thinking, I don't think there has yet been a Sunday in the last four months where something hasn't gone wrong right before we were supposed to start. Like, I I kid you not, and maybe you probably noticed some of them, but every day it seems like Sunday starts with like good intentions. This morning I was up so early. It's beautiful. The sunrise, you guys should have seen it. It was great. Uh, and, And then, and then, you know, we hit, hit trouble right before we're supposed to start. It's always right before. And, and it, it's funny how that is. And I know in myself what happens, I hit that obstacle, whatever it is, you know, this thing's not working, that thing doesn't turn on right. I'm worried that that thing's not working or whatever, or or people are helpfully saying in the live stream, Hey, we can't hear you or whatever, you know, something like that happens every week. And there's this part of me that's just like, Oh, like, you know, that feeling when you're like, really like hours of preparation and planning and figuring out and then you hit that unexpected thing and it's always a different unexpected thing because you solve you know we're always fighting the last war so you fight the last war and then there's a new unexpected thing and you get that sinking feeling right that's just like are you kidding me again and then people start showing up and it's like all right it's time to worship and i found that by the end of the service on sunday um my joy is back. But by the beginning, it's like, oh man, this is rough. This is hard. Um, and, and there's that thing in the pit of your stomach. It's just, it's just hard. Uh, it's been a hard time. I have a, I have a friend um, that I went to my first year of college with, um, and he was a, a teen challenge grad. And he used to talk a lot about um, kind of his own struggles and, and spiritual battles in his own life. And and one of the things I remember him telling me, I'll never forget, he'd, say, he'd tell me, and he's, he's from New York, and so he'd say, he'd say not Pastor Todd, I don't want Pastor Todd. He said, Todd, I got to tell you, um, whenever I have trouble sleeping at night, he's like, I read my Bible. 
He's like, every time I have trouble sleeping at night, I read my Bible. He's like, because I know that the devil doesn't want me to read my Bible. And so he'll make me fall asleep. That's what, that's what he said. So he's like, I'm going to trick the devil by reading my Bible. Um, but, but it was interesting to me. At the time, I remember thinking, I, I don't know that it quite works like that, Matt, but maybe. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but seriously, you know, he lived in a world where he understood that there were things that he couldn't see that were impacting his life, that there was some kind of force, that there was something not right or evil or bad that didn't want him to go, grow closer to God, that made stuff hard. Um, and so what's interesting, and at the time, I, I really dismissed him, and I'm like, yeah, okay, Matt, and, and I thought, you know, that was kind of smart. Like, he's probably not going to be fooled by you trying to go to sleep, you know. But, but no, he insisted. I remember kind of writing him off. Uh, but it's funny. The more you read Scripture, the more you read the New Testament and the Old Testament, it's clear that, uh, that the Bible seems to believe that there are evil things in the world. There are evil forces that are against um, and are trying to trip us up, uh, prevent us from going uh, the direction that we need to go. In fact, they show up on the very first pages of the Bible, and they last all the way to the very end where they're ultimately finally put away and defeated. Um, so if you want to read scripture seriously, um, and, and I had to come to this too, if you want to read scripture seriously, if you want to trust what scripture says, you have to reckon with this idea that, um, you know, at, at the very least, just about everybody that was involved in writing it believed there was more than what they could see in the struggles and the challenges of their lives. And so um, I find that it reminds me that there, maybe there's a reason why things are sometimes so hard. You know, and you look at the history of the church, you look at uh, the earliest churches, uh, if you read, the reason we have the New Testament, the New Testament letters, is because there was tons of conflict, tons of failure, tons of bad behavior and trouble in the very first churches. The church started hard. <laughs> it started hard. And guess what? Sometimes, even today, it's still hard. And so what I wanted to spend some time talking about is, um, <clears throat> is that, that story that, that the New Testament tells, that the writers of Scripture seem to believe that there's more to this life uh, than, than just our own human sin getting in the way of our, our church, of our faith, of our relationships with other people, our relationships with God. And so one of the things that maybe you've heard me say, uh, I said it a lot last Sunday, but uh, one of the things that you may hear me say often is that sometimes the Bible tells a story that's different than the story we're telling ourselves. Um, sometimes the Bible talks about the world in a way that's different than the way that maybe we understand it. And what we have to do, you know, and it tells a story, identifies problems and solutions. And what we get to do as, as followers of Jesus is we get to decide if we're going to believe the story that God's word is telling or not. You know, we, um, but, but the first thing we have to start with is, is, you know, every time we pick up the Bible, we say, okay, what is, what is God's word saying? What is the story that the Bible is telling about life in this time? What does that mean for life in our time? And so uh, that's what we do when we read scripture. We, by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, we use our God-given brains. We use the tools of countless faithful Christians and translators and historians and scholars. And we put all that together and try to understand through scripture the story that God is telling about the world then and about the world now. And sometimes the story that God's telling, and, and let me tell you, if this never happens to you, if you've never had this experience before, you're not reading the Bible well. Um, because if you're never reading scripture and finding that the story it seems to be telling is different than the story that you've been telling yourself, uh, 
you, you haven't let it really into your head or your heart. If every time you read scripture, your answer is, amen, I already knew that. Amen, I agree. Amen, I already knew that. Uh, I'll, this is my challenge to you is you're probably, you're missing something because none of us has a perfect knowledge. And so if our stories are never challenged by what God's word says, uh, we're just really good at trying to shoehorn God's word into the things that we already believe. Uh, and so um, we have already spent a little bit of time in Ephesians this summer. And so we're going to spend the next two weeks in Ephesians 6. And, and it's all about the story of what God believes and, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, what God believes is going on in the world, what it means to be faithful, and what it means uh, to follow him in, in their day and, and in our day too. Uh, so so that's, that's what we're up to today. Um, <clears throat> and we're going to be in the letter uh, to the Ephesians. And if you've read Ephesians, we spent a little bit of time in Ephesians already this year. Uh, it's, it's an early church leader trying to remind uh, different gatherings of Christians, different churches, what the true story of the world is. He's inviting them, just as the rest of Scripture does, to lay down the stories they've been telling themselves and take up the kingdom story that, that God is telling and so uh, if you remember, a lot of Ephesians talks about being united as one body in Christ. And, and this last part of, of chapter 6, Paul will tell them all kinds of things they should look out for, all kinds of things they should do. And, and last ch- uh, chapter, this last bit of chapter 6, is kind of, it's like, the, it's like the locker room speech before they go out onto the field, right? Uh, one time I, I preached from this, it was a few years ago, and I showed, you know, the, mir- the movie Miracle, you know, right before they go out on the ice and it's like, this is your time. Their time is done. I, I wish I could remember that guy's name. Aaron's going to kill me. Herb Brooks, right? Of course. Um, this is that, right? So, so the Ephesians Christians, they're sitting in the locker room and Paul is like, this is your time. And this is what the battle looks like. These are where the battle lines are drawn. This is what it means uh, to live. This is the real story of what's going on. So as we get ready to go out there for another fall in a totally uncertain world that's not uncertain to God, um, with anxiety and uncertainty and worries about tomorrow, I hope that this locker room speech will remind us what's going on, what God's uh, telling us about the world. So uh, so um, Paul is going to give this speech, and, and I want you to, to look out for, for a few things. I'm going to read the whole thing. Uh, but we're just going to focus on the beginning. But as we listen, I want you to look for the answers to a few questions, and there will be a test, so, so really pay attention this time. Uh, the, the first question, I guess, would be, you know, what metaphor is Paul using to describe human life on earth, okay? Keep that. That's a long one. No slides, guys. Sorry. Uh, the second one, um, who are the Ephesians' uh, enemies, that's the second question. So what, what's going on? What metaphor does Paul use? Who are the Ephesians' enemies? And three, what does winning look like? What's the, the victory condition, right? So they're going out onto the ice. What does it look like to win? Uh, you know, that's the, you know, like, I, I don't watch that much hockey, as you can tell, because I don't even know who Herb Brooks is. But, you know, like the hockey players, they do the interview, and they're always like, well, we just got to get out there and, like, score more goals and pass and score more goals. You know, it's very in-depth. Uh, so, so what does it look like to win? So let's, let's take a look. Uh, a final word. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Um, it says this, starting in verse 10. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil 
For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground then, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor. I I like that in the New Living better than it's like the breastplate. I think it just really hits, right? The body armor of God's righteousness for shoes put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all the believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Okay, so you've got it in front of you. Uh, Quiz time. This is Bible school stuff, right? Okay, so what metaphor is Paul using to describe the human life? A battle. A war, right? That's, That's the metaphor. So what metaphor is God using to describe the human life? A war. Yeah, okay, perfect. Easy, easy peasy. Who are the Ephesians uh, and, and those who read this? Who are, who are they fighting with in this war? Who's the enemy? Somebody's got to be a little louder. Sorry, Axel. I just can't hear over you, buddy. <laughs> Who's the enemy? It's all right. Anybody? Who's the enemy? So if, if life is a war, according to Paul... Who's the bad guy? Who's the enemy? Somebody's going to have to be confident and, and fail boldly because I can't hear you. Who? What's that? Yeah, the, the devil and his minions. Uh, is, is the enemy the Roman soldiers that are, are showing up at their house and arresting their friends and even arrested Paul? No. Who's the enemy? Satan, uh, the devil, his minions, the forces of evil. Paul believes that there's a war going on, and on one side is God and the people that are are called according to his name, that that belong to God, and on the other side is a spiritual evil. That's what what Paul believes. That's what Ephesians teaches. That's what the Bible says. So, all right, so it's a war. The enemy is spiritual evil. What does winning look like? How do you win the war for Paul? There it is. Remain standing in the end. Do you win the war by um, destroying the enemy yourself? No, right? That's weird. Do you win the war uh, by, um, by like pushing the battle lines or by, by doing some like amazing uh, action? No, not really, right? You win the war by ending on your feet. That's what Paul says. He says, all of this is so that at the end of the battle, you'll still be on your feet. Okay, so, so in the Roman world, um, just a, a little uh, zoom back in history a little bit, right? In the Roman world, the ancient world, most, for most of human history, people thought like this. There was literally no separation uh, between 
spiritual things and what you believed about God or faith or whatever we call that now and real life. Okay. In the ancient world, these things were, were overlapping. Okay. Does that, does that make sense? There was no separation of church over here and state over here. That's very new. Like we're living in a very short period of time where people believe that somehow the spiritual world is one thing and the real world is something else. But for most of human history, human beings believe that the physical world and the spiritual world were, were utterly intertwined. And so what that looked like in real life was that your community life was connected with your religious life. It, you couldn't separate your community life from your religion. Your work life was totally connected with the faith of the people that lived around you. So if you lived in Rome, you lived in a pagan society, uh, you grew up um, worshiping, uh, worshiping the gods of Rome and stuff, but you didn't just do it on Sunday, you did it everywhere. Your job had to do with worshiping the gods. Uh, your po any political interactions had to do with how you felt about, about the gods. They were at the center of life. You know, like most people in the ancient world, uh, the place that they bought meat uh, they're like grocery store. If you didn't raise your own animals, you wanted to buy meat, you bought it at a temple because what people would do that raised animals, they'd bring their animals to the temple for sacrifice. The priests would sacrifice it. They'd eat some of it and then they'd cut the rest of it up and sell it to, to support the ministry of the temple. So if you bought meat, if you ate meat in the ancient world, most likely you bought it at a pagan temple. It had been sacrificed to another God. And Paul talks about this in, in another letter. Um, so, so everything you did, if you're a, you know, a, a leather smith or something, your guild of, of fellow leather workers had a patron God. It was a part of every part of your life. Your, your entertainment took place at the temple. Your community had to do with your faith. Your family revolved around uh, this venerating gods and, and ancestors and all this stuff. Uh, the worship of pagan gods was central to every aspect of life, okay? And so if you were an early Christian, you accepted Christ, one of the things you had to do was renounce those gods. Uh, the early, one of the first criticisms that we have in, in history, other writings in history of Christians was uh, they would call them atheists. <laughs> Believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Christian neighbors, people that had Christians as neighbors would say, oh, they're a bunch of atheists. They only worship one God. They don't worship the gods. They must be atheists because to accept Christ meant you had to turn your back on all of that and all of your society. So, so many uh, Christians, for most Christians, this resulted in a total break and disconnection from everybody in your life. Uh, and believe it or not, that for most of the world, that's still the case. Even today, uh, when somebody comes to faith in, in other parts of the world, and, and it, it often results in just a complete break in, in all of their relationships. So, so to accept Christ was to become the enemy of all of your friends, all of your coworkers, all of your family. So if you were the first one to hear this letter, if you were the first one to hear this letter, you could bet that your very real enemies looked like former neighbors who wouldn't look you in the eye in the street anymore. Looked like former coworkers who would sabotage everything that you did and, and cut off your family's only source of income. You'll bet that your enemies looked like officers of the Roman state who are coming in to deal with the problem of these, these crazy people that just couldn't deal with the way life was. Your enemies looked like hostile, non-believing family members and coworkers. 
And beyond that, believe it or not, even beyond that, inside the church there was conflict and frustration. And so maybe you felt like you had enemies inside the church too. These teachers that would come and say different things, or maybe you'd have a, a disagreement with people inside the church. Uh, for the early Christian community, you knew what an enemy was. Uh, now, it might not have been surprising to you that life was a battle, right? Because every day is a battle in the ancient world. Living is a battle in the ancient world. But, but when Paul says your enemies aren't who you think they are, that would have been the challenging thing. That would have been the story shift that uh, these uh, Christians needed to hear. Because to follow Jesus in Paul's day was already a battle. They don't have to be reminded they agree there's a struggle, but what would have bothered them, if you've ever read uh, scripture or heard a sermon or whatever, and the pastor said something or scripture said something that really got on your skin, that challenged how you're looking at the world and, and told you, you know, so you either had to take it or leave it. The thing that they had to take or leave uh, was, was what Paul said about their enemies. Because what Paul says is your enemy is not the relative who turned their back on you. Your enemies are not the former co-workers who no longer associate with you. Your enemies are not the people in your town that openly mock you. Your enemies are not the people with swords and helmets coming to arrest you and feed you to lions. They are not the enemies. There's something deeper going on, Paul says. And, and as they read that, I guarantee you, I, I mean, I wasn't there. Okay, fair enough. But I, you can almost be sure that as they read that the first time, they said, I don't think so, Paul. <laughs> I've got real enemies. But Paul says, no, there's something deeper going on. The real battle of this world is between the God who made it and the forces of sin and evil and violence that want to destroy it. Jesus' teachings point to this, right? Don't they? When he says uh, that you should love your enemies. In that case, right, he, he's not so much talking about the, the evil one. He's talking about the people that you think of as your enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And, and Jesus' death and resurrection, they point to this too. When, when he arrives on earth, a world full of people that had turned their back on him, and he doesn't destroy the people who look like his enemies. Instead, he dies at their hand. He allows himself, right, like we said, to be captured and killed by men with swords because he knew that the enemy wasn't the guy in the helmet. And so we believe that when Jesus walked the earth, when he allowed himself to be killed, when he rose again from the dead, the real enemy was defeated. The real enemy was beaten. The war was won in that moment that the tomb opened. But the thing is, the enemy doesn't seem to know it yet. The enemy's still causing problems. The enemy's still making life hard. The battle is over. Evil has lost. Death is defeated. If you read Revelation, we believe that the end of the story is ultimately written. That one day God will take the enemy and put him away forever. And between now and then, according to Paul, according to the New Testament, is uh, the goal is the, the victory comes in remaining standing through those last couple of battles, in the struggle to stay standing. So next week we're going to talk about what it takes to keep standing together. Um, 
But I want to come back to this, this enemy thing, because I think it's so important, especially in, time, in, in the days that we're living in. Uh, because in our culture, and, and especially if, if the year is one of those special four years, right? <laughs> um, in our culture, there is no shortage of people who are going to tell us who our enemies are, right? If you want to know who your enemy is, like go on Facebook and you have probably five friends and your one uncle that will tell you who the bad guy is in the world or bad lady. There are no shortage of people trying to tell us who our enemies are. And when we're struggling with change and loss and uncertain tomorrows, like psychologically, every part of us is ready. Give us an enemy to fight. Tell me who to hate. I'm ready. You know, that's, that's us. There are plenty of people who will take us in this moment and tell us who the problem is, who the enemy is. And, and maybe it'll be, it'll be corporations or, or conspiracies. Maybe it'll be lizard people. I grew up in Colorado and, and everybody thinks that Denver airport is like a big conspiracy built by lizard people because it costs so much. But I think people just are bad at building airports. Um, but whatever it is, people are going to tell you that your enemy is, is rich people. Or they're going to tell you that your enemy is poor people, or maybe it's rural people, or maybe it's ur- uh, urban people. There's people who want to tell us that our enemies are, are Russians or Iranians or Chinese people or North Koreans, or, or maybe it's, it's police officers are your enemy, or protesters are your enemy, or rioters or anti-fascists or fascists or Democrats or Republicans or Nancy Pelosi or Mitch McConnell or Donald Trump or Joe Biden. <sighs> or people wearing masks or people not wearing masks. Young people, old people, teachers, parents, Fox News, CNN, even in the church. Oh, your enemy is the evangelical Christians. Your enemy is the the conservative Christians. Your enemy is the liberal Christians. But the Bible says no. No. Sorry, neighbors. Our struggle is not with flesh and blood. It's not parties or people, or guys in helmets with swords or whatever. No. And, and does this mean that, that we shouldn't care? No, of course not, right? Does it mean we shouldn't vote or discuss our politics with people or disagree with each other? Uh, no, of course not. Does it mean that everyone's right and, and nobody's wrong and, and everything, everybody's just fine? No, of course not. Does it mean that people don't do evil things? No, of course not. People are still responsible for their evil actions, you and me included. Does it mean, but it, but it does mean this. It does mean that that person is not the problem. That person is someone you need to pray for. Does it mean that it's wrong to be in a party or take a side or take a position? Of course not. Even when, especially when that's informed by God's leading and his, his uh, Holy Spirit speaking to you in the words of Scripture. But what it does mean is this, that those people are never your enemies. I don't care who it is. Like Paul says earlier in Ephesians, there are only two kinds of people, people set free by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and people still captured by sin. It does mean this, that when that person, and you know who that person is, that when their face uh, shows up on the TV or when they say something and you feel that feeling rising from the pit of your stomach that that person is the most terrible, awful so-and-so in the history of the world, when that feeling strikes you, Uh, that's a reminder that there's somebody you need to be praying 
for. When your relative posts that thing on Facebook, when that person makes a speech, when someone at church disagrees with you, they're not your enemy. Because ever since uh, like the fourth page of the Bible, ever since uh, Cain figured that his brother Abel was the enemy and killed him in the field, human beings have had no trouble finding them in each other when the real enemy is crouching at the door, when the real enemy is stirring the conflict, increasing the division, egging us on, doing everything that it can to get us to point fingers at each other and miss what's going on in the world. The struggle continues. Life is a battle. The reason church isn't easy right now is because life is a battle. The reason things are hard and are always hard is because life is a struggle, but the real struggle is not one of flesh and blood. My hope and prayer for us is that we would find ourselves standing at the end. My friends, God is inviting us to lay down the stories that we tell ourselves, the stories that we tell about the world, about who our enemies are, and believe his story instead. And one way to do that, one way to accept this invitation is to pray something like this with me. I invite you, if you want to receive that, to to pray this with me. Lord God, I have sinned and been your enemy. In the battle between good and evil, I have given in to selfishness and hatred and violence. I have believed the wrong people about who my enemy is. And I've allowed the forces of evil to manipulate how I see people made in your image. I've hurt people that you've made and I've justified it. But your word reminds us, Father, that the real struggle is not between human beings. Lord, I have sinned. For the sake of your son, Jesus, who died and rose to defeat the true enemies of evil and death. For the sake of your son, forgive me, clean me, and make me new. And by your Holy Spirit, change my heart. Keep me believing the true story of your world, even when the forces of evil work hard to sell me something different. Lord, help us to stand. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can find out more about us and join our live streams at facebook.com slash Bethel Covenant Church. Thanks and have a great week.